You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show podcast, episode 040. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at thejoyjunkie.com slash 40. You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show, your source for getting your shit together in love and life. Wouldn't it suck if I really talk like that? I'm Mr. Smith. I'll be hanging out on the show with you guys. So without further ado, here's your host, life coach, speaker, all-around badass, just happens to be my beautiful bride, Amy E. Smith. Hey, everybody. Amy here. Welcome to the Joy Junkie Show podcast. I am so thrilled. We have an awesome guestie for you. As many of you know, I used to uh, be accompanied by my beautiful soulmate and spouse, Mr. Smith, and he's kind of hanging out on a sabbatical for a little bit. So I have a bunch of amazing guest hosts lined up for you, and uh, hopefully you've been able to witness some of their genius already. So I prefer to call them guesties, and I've got an awesome one with me today, actually a newer colleague in my life who I'm kind of like, how have you not been in my life yet? Because um, you know, I'm kind of a stage five clinger. <laughs> <laughs> so if so, I need somebody in my life, I usually just tell them. So today, I'm thrilled to have Kate Courageous, um, and her, actually, you know, she wasn't born Kate Courageous, she was born. Well, actually, oh, but I was. But, oh, not oh, in name. Oh, not in name. Not in name. But I was going to say you were born Kate Swoboda, but that's not true either. Yeah, that's that's my my legal name. But oh, oh, it is. Okay, I didn't know if that was your married name or not, or whatever. But yes. so, Kate, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm totally happy to be here. I hope I can fill Mr. Smith's what I'm sure a very large. <laughs> They are considering he's like six <laughs> five. He's a giant. Um, like the you know, if we're talking figuratively or literally, I don't know. <laughs> but um, so let me tell you guys a little bit about Kate. And uh, before I do that, I just want to let everybody know if you're new to the show. Typically, what we do is we'll bounce back and forth between life topics and love topics. So today we have an awesome life topic. We're actually going to talk about courage and fear. So how to break through fear and conjure some courage. Because I find that that's typically one of the most arresting things for us in our life. So nobody better to speak with than Kate Courageous herself. So let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a life coach, a writer, and a speaker who teaches people how to practice, how the practice of courage is revolutionary. So since 2009, thousands of people have visited yourcourageouslife.com to learn more about working with fear and practicing courage with the core message being that when you're trying to eradicate fear or pretend that it doesn't exist, you're actually working against yourself. Her approach is a sexy, soulful combination of intuitive spirituality with brass tacks, pragmatic wisdom, and she defines courage as feeling afraid, diving in anyway, and transforming. Oh my gosh, so much good stuff to talk about. Um, But as you guys know, we like to kind of, you know, warm up the mics, talk about some shit that really doesn't matter at all first. So I I know that you are newly with child, right? I mean, we're in month five, so... (laughs) 
not so new, but <laughs> about enough time to start to get to use get used to this idea. But but yes, <laughs> so, in in the overall scheme of my decades of existence, yes. And I've been following the chronicling of your pillow debacle on Facebook. <laughs> like what? Like what? How do I get comfortable with all these various pillows stacked up all around me like a little fortress? And then you've newly received a brand new pregnancy pillow. So can you please tell me about this? <laughs> well, um, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people who always has a gazillion pillows on the bed anyway. So that's come in handy. So I recently got this pregnancy pillow that a bunch of people on Facebook were raving about. And it's kind of like a U-shaped pillow, if you could imagine. So yeah. thus, you don't have to rearrange four pillows. Um, the unfortunate thing, though, is that realistically, like, I just end up sleeping with that for a couple hours and then waking up in the middle of the night and wanting my old configuration. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> But I don't move around as much. So I think my my husband appreciates that very much. That's great. So so let's let's move into talking about breaking through fear and conjuring courage and I love that you have created I mean your entire practice is based around this concept and I and I love that because it it really does permeate every single area of our life. So let me ask you what are some of the really common pitfalls or uh traps maybe that people get get caught up in where they really allow fear to to rule their lives? Like what, what are some of the things you see? Well, I would actually start with like, and sometimes people are like, oh, this is kind of playing semantics, but I, I think it's important. I actually don't see it as like breaking through fear. I see it as more like dancing with fear. And I think that one of the traps that people um, fall into is actually because the fear is uncomfortable, they go, I want to push this away. I don't want to deal with this. And there will be like, I've seen blog posts over the years that are like, tell your fear to fuck off. You know? and, <laughs> I have one like, like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and for me, at least that that didn't work. That ended up being like, um, like the energy to to tell the fear to fuck off. There are a couple things that I, I see as not working about that it's like for one thing it's like you know kind of like the things we push against like that's energy to push against it and i actually think fear has a lot of wisdom that if we would listen to it with a sense of healthy boundaries um that it dial that we all would find that there's a way that you dial down and your fear is actually trying to tell you something really really important yeah. it just doesn't know how to do it in a healthy way it's not coming up for no reason. It's not coming up to drag us down. It's not coming up to make life miserable. It's really just invested in keeping us safe. And for all of its bluster and bravado, it actually is this incredibly scared, tender core. And the metaphor that I often use to describe that is what I call the, my, my infamous stray dog metaphor. It's like you imagine a dog that was born on the streets and grew up on the streets, which means it spent its life struggling to get food, possibly being kicked by people or abused out in the cold, fighting with other dogs. So one day, Animal Services picks up this dog off the street, and nobody at Animal Services wants anything for this dog other than to rehabilitate it, give it a loving home, make sure it has plenty of food. But what is this dog going to do? 
if it, a hand is extended towards it, even if that hand has a food dish, at least initially, it's going to bite because mm. it's afraid. And it actually, ha- like if you think about it, that's the wise choice for that dog to make if that's the background that that dog has had. Right. That's the wise choice to make. So what's the response that we should give to that dog? Tell it to fuck off, hit it, beat it until it stops growling at people? Hmm. For me, at least, I go, no, what ends up happening is with a lot of patience and love, but with boundaries, because you would never go, oh, let's just love the dog. Here, let's put it in the same room as a small toddler. Right. You know, like, it, it's like there are boundaries you put in with fear, and there are a lot of tools that I employ to, like, start getting conscious about what the fear is really trying to say and to employ those boundaries, but that if we work with the fear and stop making it wrong for existing, it actually starts to just relax and tell you what you need to know. And in my experience, at least, it tells you what you need to know in a much kinder way with time. So my fear years ago used to tell me that I was a pathetic piece of shit. My fear today goes, I don't know, Kate, who do you think you are if you do that? Like, what are people going to think? And yeah, they're both fear, but mm. <laughs> like living with me on a day-to-day basis, I would so much rather have the fear go, you can't do that. Then you're a pathetic piece of shit. Whatever makes you think that a dumbass like you is going to be able to do anything. Yeah. So, and, and to that, I also often encourage people, um, one way to kind of start on that process is to stop calling your, you know, stop telling your fear to go away, stop telling it to fuck off and also stop calling it names because, you know, a lot of times it's common to hear people call fear or the, uh, the inner critic to call that a monster or a gremlin. And like, just as a for instance, you know, if, if you and I, Amy, are having trouble getting along mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, you know what, Amy, let's try to work through this. Um, hey, so monster, what's up with you? Like, you're going to be like, fuck you. You just right, called me right. a monster. You just like call, like, I think those parts, I think fear is smart in a lot of ways, right? Like it knows when it's not getting acceptance. It knows when you're hating it. And if I'm trying to get along with someone, but I know that they can, they, they don't really like me. It's a lot harder to work with that relationship. So my philosophy is all oriented around like, how do we move away from trying to get rid of something or avoid feeling something and instead radically reframe the relationship with it, which takes a shit ton of courage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's, there's, I'm going to professionally disagree in some (laughs) ways because I, I really feel like there's expanse for all of it to be, to be um, encompassed. So I feel personally like there's times when, when we should rehabilitate the dog. And then there's other times when I think we need to put it the fuck down. Like where we need to slam the door in the face. Like it's causing too much damage. It has been eating all these children. It has been, you know, like it's beyond, it's beyond reproach. So, um, so I, I really think there's room for a lot of things. So for instance, I see that sometimes when, when people are full of, angst and fury and upset and they they're at this precipice and perhaps it's a demographic a slightly different grouping of people who come to either you or myself 
But I find that people want, first of all, the permission to be pissed, the permission to be angry, the permission to really feel what they feel and and allow room for that. And where there's times when it it is really in service of you to go batshit crazy and be like, fuck this. And it's a throwdown. And it's like a, I'm done. Now, that being said, habituating that current place isn't isn't healthy either. So I don't think it's necessarily like I'm going to adopt a way of being angry permanently. But it's I do think that there's times like that, like I always called a fierce throwdown, um, where you're just like, no more. God damn it. <laughs> like, no more. Where I think it's really in service of you. But I do think that a lot of people need to figure out when an intense emotion is in service and when it's not. And that's, that is a tough place to discern, I think. Because you're right. If you are constantly in a place of anger, upset, vehemence, um, uh, directing blame, hating a portion of yourself, then, then yeah, my God, how, how volatile and unhelpful. But I, I just like, and cause, cause I know that that's cathartic for me. You know, for me to get to a place, because sometimes getting to a place of, okay, you know, I'm just going to look at how negative I've been to myself with compassion. That makes me want to pull my eyes out. You know, like I want to be like, me too. I'm fucking done with this. Like no more. You're not speaking to yourself like that anymore. You know, like fuck this. I am not going to let this get in my way anymore. And then for me, that surge of that throwdown is enough for me to go, okay, I needed to expel that a little bit and now I can approach it. So I, and I agree with you too. Um, I, cause I, I definitely talk about this a lot in relationships, like how you, if you'd call your, your spouse, the ball and chain, or if you call them, you know, the warden, you're going to be searching out evidence as such. You're going to be looking for things that follow that nomer. So, um, but I, I have moved a little – I still call it my gremlin sometimes, but um, I usually refer to it as negative self-talk. But I don't, I don't have as much of a it ha, you know, one way or the other. I feel like it can you – know, if that works for you, awesome. If that locks you into blame, don't do it. You know? If it feel, whatever feels the best for you. If you, you – know, because I think sometimes for people who – They've lived. They've lived a life people pleasing. They've lived a life, you know, kind of of oppression, but through, through unconscious choice, where they've thought that there's no other way than to be a doormat. I think getting to that fuck this place can be one of the most liberating experiences. I would agree. I wouldn't want to be misunderstood as like um, saying just like slap some compassion on things or puts it, you know, just give it a positive affirmation. I'm, I'm totally with you on, um, on, on not going to that place unless it's authentically a place to go. And I actually feel like most people need the catharsis before then they need to be fully in touch with anger or sadness and probably some combination of both more often sadness because it's more vulnerable than feeling anger. And like 
I think what I'm really getting at with this, because I, I agree with so much of what you're saying, is that there's a difference between I feel so angry versus fuck you, Amy. You're the one who did this to me. Right. Like he- turning like it internal and making it self-hatred. Another piece to right. hate. Yeah. I right. Agree. Like I that's totally what agree. people do with their fear. When I'm talking about working with your fear, I'm not saying at all. <laughs> I definitely don't have this experience myself. I'm not saying, oh, it's just fear. It's fine. It's like comfortable <laughs> and it's like, it's fine. Right. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm saying like, okay, so yeah, sometimes there are dogs that eat children and that need to be put down. Yes. But, but when you put the dog down, do you do it with understanding and compassion yes. for the wound that created it? Or do you do it masochistically, violently, and with hatred and blame? Yes. And there is a massive difference between those two worlds. So I'm, I have, man, I've spent my time in those workshops screaming and like hitting pillows, yes. like a big room of other people <laughs> doing that. And that's been a huge part of my process. What I'm talking about is the place where people will start name calling themselves mm-hmm. or not wanting to um, deal with or or trying to, you know, because to me to say fuck fear is like saying fuck this part of myself that I'm really uncomfortable being with. Um, and to me, that's contrary to if the if if what we're really all after is love and acceptance of who we are. It doesn't really work to say, well, I'm going to love and accept all the parts of who we are, but this piece over here, I'm going to tell it to fuck off. Well, how about loving and accepting all the parts of who we are? And this piece over here that's not functional, I have some frustration and anger that comes up with it as it's coming up, but I don't go, you never should have felt that way to begin with. I go, it is so frustrating that this wound is still around. I really want to be past this wound. Yes. And and yeah, dropping the F bomb is often part of my process. I'm <laughs> you know, I'm not like completely logical about it. I vent too, right? Yeah. I have, you know, not pretty nice thoughts too. It's just that how do I bring conscious everybody does. Nobody ever gets rid of the not pretty nice thoughts. Or 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 nobody ever gets rid of the mean thoughts and then moves over into all pretty nice thoughts. Right. It's how do we relate to it? How do we how do we dance with it? How do we be with it? And trying to eradicate something that is just simply a part of us that's never going to go away seems to me like putting a lot of energy into trying to um, not not fully accept a piece of life and living. Well, I it as you're saying that I'm kind of going. You know, it, it could all be a perspective thing too because when I because I'm all about fuck fear because for me it's a th- it's a throwdown of um of this emotion that has and maybe it's a role or something that I've allowed to dictate my behavior and I'm consciously taking a stand that I will not allow that any longer however I don't view fear as the same thing as a piece of me like an internal negative self-talk so I would definitely agree with you that you cannot continue to berate this other part of you and expect to progress because now you're just moving your self-loathing or, you know, to a different category. So I'm, I'm totally with you in that regard. 
I guess I look at fear as more of a of an external thing that we can choose to either blow up and entertain or we can surmount. Like we really have the freedom to choose what we do with it. I don't I guess I just don't consider that to me the same relationship as my my internal negative self-talk or, you know, what I battle with. Because I absolutely agree with you. We cannot move to more hatred, you know, but I also think that it's very important to dissect it and look at, okay, here's the emotion that I'm feeling. I have some trepidation. I have some fear. I am scared. And that's, you know, some of the stuff that I, I want to share with everybody today is looking at where does that come from? Because it's not enough to say, okay, you're banished. You're out of here. You know, it is important to to dig into it and look at it and go, okay, now what? Now what do I want? How do I want to respond to this? What do I want to do with it? Um, and I've talked about that considerably on the show too, how the last thing we need to do is to create this other piece of ourselves that we hate and that there's room for compassion and um how really, truly what it is, you know, if we talk about the psychological basis of negative self-talk, it's, it's, um, it's a self-defense mechanism. It's what we do to, to help ourselves deal with something that, like impending doom. You know, unfortunately, we're not in that situation where we're about to be attacked by mountain lions where we always have to have this, <laughs> you know, escape response. Um, so we do, we experience those same types of emotions like fear to things that are not impending life-threatening doom. Um, so I think, you know, personally, I just believe that it's part of our psychological makeup. Um, but yeah, I don't know, even know how I got all the way over there. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I always do. But, um, well, you said, where does fear come from? And I think it comes from a wound. So that's why I go, I do oh. think it comes from within. Like it's mm-hmm. always an origination of a wound. It's a story that arises out of a wounding. Mm-hmm. And everybody has a different story, which is why everybody fears something slightly different. Like I might go through a bad breakup and then the story that I have that from that wound is men are not to be trusted and then, um, you know, somebody else might go through a bad breakup and the story that comes from that wound is going to be, I'm just a really lame, pathetic person. But either way, like the fear is really rooted in like a fear of rejection, a fear of experiencing pain again. Hmm. And so it's like, well, I guess it's kind of similar to like what you were saying earlier. Like it's like, yeah, I think it's a perspective thing because I'm trying to work out in my mind how I could say, I I don't want to create that part that I don't want to create a part of myself that hates myself. Right. And fuck fear. Because if if I am in relationship and I say to my partner, fuck you, there's no way unless he is clear that I'm totally joking. But look, if there's a conflict of any kind, there's no way that that's going to be considered loving, respectful communication. No, no, I get no, I get that. I'm just saying that um, fear to me is the byproduct of what is happening with the internal self-talk. So you say shit to yourself, and then you feel the emotion of fear. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I would say. So, for instance, I could very easily say to my husband, um, you know, I could have a dialogue with him, but separately be like, I am so fucking sick of 
the repercussions, the energy, the feeling of what's going on. That doesn't mean that that's how I'm going to address him. Because again, I think that is the perspective difference is I don't see fear as a component of my psyche, of, of like a negative self-talk. I feel it's a byproduct of my self-talk. Mm, yeah, see, I flip it. I'm like, I think that the feeling, the sense within what happens is that we feel things and then we go, I got to make, I mean, in microseconds, right? Like not in a very logical, orderly way. We go, okay, why am I feeling this? Well, I must be feeling this because, and, you know, sometimes it's projected blame and sometimes it's, you know, because I, I think they even say that scientifically they've shown that the biochemically, biologically, they can't tell the difference between fear and excitement in the body. If you hmm. measure heart rate, if you measure sweat, if you measure breathing, if you measure raising or lowering of cortisol, that when a happy event happens, um, there's a raising cortisol with the excitement that accompanies that just as when um, something that you're nervous or anxious about happens. Mm -hmm. um, that And, you know, all of those things. And that they actually cannot tell a difference biologically between the two. The only difference between the two is the story you're telling yourself about what you're experiencing, yeah. which I actually think is a really cool tool to think about in those moments when it's like something kind of shitty is happening. It's kind of like, oh, okay, so, <laughs> you know, my body, you know, the only difference here is, is between nervousness and excitement is literally what I'm telling myself right now. And science can see that. And I just think that's so cool when science and personal growth dance together. Yes, I, I I could not agree with you more. I love that. Like, you know, when they do the studies of, you know, if you write like health and, vibe, you know, vitality and things like that on your water bottle, it helps you recover from illnesses faster. Shit like that. Like, I'm like, what? How is that possible? You know, I totally agree. So, okay. So aside from that, if you're experiencing fear, let's talk about some um, – some things that people could actually do about it, you know, whether it is to have a throwdown or to um, it really embody compassion towards it. Like what what are some things that people can do to kind of operate from a place of courage instead? Um, you know, I often think, especially since a lot of our, our, you know, I think fear comes from a wound and a lot of that stuff starts when we're very young, I often would say that looking at your fear as like a small child that's throwing a temper tantrum in the store, it's like you wouldn't tell that child, you know, shut up, I'm going to lock you in a closet so I don't have to deal with you. So it's kind of like, okay, so how do you want to talk to a small child that totally believes that it's like the world is ending in that moment, that it's totally losing it? And what are some things that that child might need to hear that are comforting mm -hmm. and that let that child know that they are not a bad person for feeling what they're feeling? Mm -hmm. um, the behavior isn't acceptable. A tantrum in the middle of the supermarket isn't acceptable. We're going to put some boundaries around that. But like, what is it you need to hear? Because I often think that in the same way that negative self-talk can um, speaking of another thing, science has, has shown in studies, you know, negative self-talk actually like depresses your immune system and, mm -hmm. you know, it affects how, how uh, your cells form. I, I wouldn't quote unquote say the flip side should be positive self-talk because I don't know about you. I'm, yep. I'm thinking we're on the same page with this. But when I am like 
I'm so mad. I feel like the world sucks. And then somebody comes along and tells me to just LOA it, law of attraction, like, you know, no, the world is abundant and everything works in my favor. I just, that's actually a moment when I want (laughs) to, you know, again, like working with these voices, these impulses is like, I really want to tell them to shut up and go rub some crystals together in a corner. Yeah. Um, You know, I love crystals. I don't want to offend any crystal aficionados on this call. I have crystals, but like um, I need more than just crystals when I'm in it. And I need more than just affirmations when I'm in it. And so like I'm not talking about positive self-talk here. I'm talking about words of comfort like, hey, you're doing the best you can right now with what you've got. Hey, anybody would be frustrated by that totally get it. Like the things that you would hope your best friend would say to you, if you had legitimately made a mistake and you were beating yourself up, you know, like you would want your friend to not be trying to call you to task over it. You'd want your friend to be going, man, I've been there too. This can be really hard. I know, you know, like that empathy, um, that warmth, that sense of understanding that like, hey, there's a human being here who's doing the very best they can with the tools they've got. And as soon as they know how to do better, they're going to do better. And until they know this is what we've got, you know, what can we do that's kind, really? How can we choose what's kind? Um, And I think that's a very different tone than this sort of forced, positive talk that, uh, at least for me, that just always... (laughs) You have to believe it. Yeah, if you're aligned with it, it's so powerful, right? Like if you're having a day where you're really aligned with it or if you can use this kindness to move yourself into a space of like like if the place one starts is, hey, everybody goes through this and you're doing the best you can. And then after 10 minutes of that kind of talk, suddenly you feel in your body a sense of, you know what? I live a fucking awesome life. I love this. I'm so blessed. I have so many people who love me. The world is actually a good place. Like if you can move there, wonderful, so powerful. But trying to force yourself into that state, I tend to think is just not helpful. Like it feels really icky and inauthentic. And it's more of that, like what you resist persists. You're putting energy into something that it's like, uh, Well, something that I think is really key to point out is it depends where you're at. Because if you are in the throes of like a fear spiral or, you know, where you actually have like the shortness of breath or, you know, you have the physical Mm -hmm. emotion, sorry, the physical responses that happen when you have a flurry of anxiety or, um, you know, a spiral of negative self-talk, then those are when it's so counterproductive to try to be like, okay, I feel really good. Things are really awesome. You know, that's when it's the biggest load of shit because you're, <laughs> you're in the middle of this. That's not what you need. What mm-hmm. we need in that moment is anything that will, first of all, disrupt the, the vortex and will make you feel better. So I totally agree with you. There's a lot of times when I'll just be like, okay, I know what's going on here. You know, and I just call it out like, okay, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just in the vortex. It's okay. You are going to get out of it. You've gotten out of it before, you know, where sometimes it's just encouragement that you need, you know, like, okay, I'm onto it. I'm onto the situation and it, it doesn't, you don't have to be angry at yourself or mad at yourself or you don't have to also force yourself to shit glitter 
like you were saying, <laughs> you know? I love that. I'm taking that from you. I'm going to use shit glitter at some point in a blog post or something <laughs> in the next couple of months. I'll give you credit, but I have to use that. That's I good. use it all the time because I feel like, you know, that's one of the, the things that people think is once, once you do a lot of self-growth or self-help or you dig through a bunch of your shit, you eradicate these, you know, whatever, that now all of a sudden – you never have to use your tools again, you know? And I'm like, that's like thinking you work out, you get to a great body, and then you don't need to work out anymore. Like, uh, no, it takes maintenance, you know? Well, so. and part of that phenomenon comes from, like, when, I mean, I kind of think, like, us as coaches, like, we need to look around and, like, kind of go, like, you know, like, if you've, I don't know if you have been accused of this, I have been accused of trying to coach someone, <laughs> <laughs> who was not asking for my coaching. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like, um, I think there's this thing that happens where like somebody who has really learned some really kick-ass tools, if, if somebody else hasn't learned those same tools or isn't in the same space and somebody else is trying to like help them with those tools, it just feels like, like you just want to like, just, just get away from me. Because like, you're not, because it's not, not actually kind. You're not meeting them where they're at. You're not ready to receive in that place. And that's yeah. usually what's happen, What's happening when you're in the middle of something really anxiety-inducing or fear-ridden or whatever. So, it, yeah, I think do whatever you need to do to get through that surge, you know, in a way that is healthy for you if you need to, you know, have sex, if you need to masturbate, if you need to go for a run, if you need to flail on your bed, you know, there's sometimes you just have to get through that, that little surge. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah, so or call someone and say, Hey, like, this is not the space that I live in. And I totally understand that the person I'm about to hurl insults about is actually probably a really good person most of the time. But can I just tell you what a fucking bitch so-and-so like sometimes like, <laughs> yeah. But it's like you put a container around the experience so that it, it's not like – it's just like I need to get this out and I get that it's like coming from a wound or an immature place or a place where I'm just fed up, whatever you want to call it. And then I need to put that expiration date on this. Yes. And that – exactly. And that's what I always call the human hall pass. But it has – you know, there's sometimes you have to take the fucking low road. You have yeah. to throw a fit. You have to do those things. But – the caveat is to not allow it to become a way of being mm-hmm. and to be very conscious of a start point, end point. What I just did was not, you know, upstanding and being aware of what it is. That's the key, you know. Um, so cool. So more what, – what else to, to step into that courageous place? Well, you know, we're talking a lot about like high emotional states. And so one, you know, since we've spent like a lot of time on that, I'll flip to talking about like, what do you do when you're starting something new, or you really want to try something. Mm -hmm. And there's this feeling of like, people would think I'm ridiculous if I did that, or my husband would never support me taking the time to do that, or, you know, any of that, like, I really think that, um, one of the things that I see people do is they'll try to logic their way through that space. And I actually really love, you know, when Danielle Laporte came out with the desire map and started talking about like really focusing on your desire. Mm. I loved that she gave voice to that because after she did, I went, that is actually something that I do in my life that I've never heard anyone articulate before, but, but that's something that I do. So it's like, if there's something that I'm thinking about doing and I'm wondering if, 
other people are going to have a reaction. Um, and, and I have some fear around that, not high emotional state, freaking out completely fear, but like, just like, oh, I feel kind of foolish or embarrassed or what if they think this and this or um, it's kind of like focusing on how much I want that for myself. Yeah. Like and how good that feels and how not like how it would be received by others. Not again, not trying to push myself into this place of like visualizing that everyone's going to love it, which, again, if that works for someone, I'm all about it. For me, that doesn't work when I'm in this particular place that I'm describing, but more so just letting my excitement and my enthusiasm, my passion, my desire carry me. Um, that's something that I think can be so incredibly helpful yeah. and more helpful than like logically trying to go, well, I mean, if so-and-so says that they don't agree with what I'm doing, here's what I'll say in return. And then if they say this, I'll say this. And that just becomes like rumination. And for me, at least, can sometimes help, but often ends up leading to like more anxiety as I start imagining yeah. all these things that could happen. If I just dial it down to me and how excited I am for this thing that I want, it's a little more like, yeah. okay, I got this. Yeah, and so what what I'm really hearing you say is that it's a real deliberate choice of focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the situation is what it is. Like you, you have a dream that you want to go for, right? And so it's like a the glass is half full, half empty. It's the same fucking desire. You can choose to look at it from a place of what if I'm going to get all this scrutiny? How am I going to be received? What are all the things that could go wrong? Or you could – half full it and go I'm going to focus on the actual desire what would that feel like what oh my gosh and really it's the same fucking glass it's all your choice mm-hmm. you know and to, to put it to like a very real example that's how I have really been with this pregnancy because they actually warned me after I got pregnant speaking of the like litany of things that like <laughs> all around this I mean they you know they like warned me when I got pregnant, like slightly higher chance of miscarriage, at least based on the test mm-hmm. results, one would think, um, given the biochemical issues that were going on that were keeping me from getting pregnant, one would think that I would have a higher chance of miscarrying and a higher chance of a really serious um, chromosomal issue. And I'm not talking about just like Down syndrome. I'm talking about the kind of, you know, the, the things I really, really, really feared were things like the um, chromosomal issues where that affect the spine, which um, I just the other day read about someone in O Magazine writing about her experience of Hmm. her baby having like a really serious, being born with a really serious spinal defect and basically watching her child for three years, like slowly suffocate as the child could no longer breathe or chew or, and I just like, those are the things that really would freak me out. And they warned me that it like possibly slightly higher chance of any of those things. And I would go to this place of like, with things happening with pregnancy, I don't know what this or that feeling in my abdomen means. I'm feeling this way today. I don't know. Is that good? Is that bad? And feeling that anxiety and then projecting into, oh, my God, how awful it would feel if I miscarried and stuff like that. And the thing that kept turning it around for me was me going, okay, all of those things might happen because you know what? 
bad things happen to really great people. This is reality. This is what happens. People have these experiences. And at least as far as I know right now, I have a healthy kid. And every single day that I know that I have a healthy kid, I'm going to celebrate that and I'm going to be excited about that. And I'm just going to love this kid up because this is what I've got right here and right now. And that's that's like all I can do. And it would really decrease my anxiety every single time. Although I do want to throw in there that there were some high emotional states. (laughs) This was not just like, (laughs) this was like me like having a total freaking out crying fit and then taking that deep breath after I'd cried it out and going, okay, but here's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, something that I want to just underline with what you just said is there is one train of thought that feels significantly better than the other. So when you go down that path of what if, what if, you know, my baby has this or that or this, there is, it feels awful, you know? And, and so, and I would argue that what we all really want in the grand scheme of life is to feel good and be happy, period. Like that's what we want, right? So why not follow suit with, with our thought patterns if we have the option to go down this one road that doesn't feel good to think that way versus um, really adopting a routine of going down the direction that actually feels good to you. And, um, and again, I think that would also size up a lot of our semantic differences or thoughts on fear and being a part of you or whatnot is ultimately it's about how do you feel? Like, does that serve you? to stay locked in a specific place. For some, yes. For some, no. It's going to be totally different based off of perspective. Um, but but that's what I would always offer to people is to really get in touch with what are your responses to certain thought patterns within your own mind? Because your answer's there. Or your body's telling you. This mm-hmm. either feels good to me or it doesn't. Yeah, the body never lies. I love somatic work. The body just doesn't lie. And a co- many years ago, I had a session with my own coach where, you know, I'm doing all this work that you and I are talking about. And I said to him, um, <coughs> excuse me, well, I went into my feelings and I felt my fear to like get it out or my anger or whatever was happening for me. And it was like still there. <laughs> and, you know, I was really frustrated by this. And um, he gave me a tool that I've given to many coaching clients since that I actually find to be so helpful, which is you, you go, okay, this is where I'm at. I'm mad. I don't want to be compassionate. I don't want to give anybody the benefit of the doubt. I'm completely aware of the fact that right now I'm choosing, you're talking about choosing mm-hmm. these, these trains that you, you know, which path you want to follow. I'm choosing one that I actually know doesn't make me feel good. Yes. You go over and you set a kitchen timer on the stove or you set a timer on your phone for 30 minutes or 60 minutes. And when it goes off, you check in with yourself and you go, am I ready to move anything yet? And that I just thought that's so brilliant because what happens is that if I'm left to my own devices or you can, you know, have say to a friend, can you, you text a friend, can you call me in an hour? You know, lots of different ways to do this. But I thought... You know, it's like it's when I'm dealing with it on my own, like completely, that it's 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 like left to my own devices. I might just ruminate and everything's going to get worse. Right. But um, actually, 
if I employ this other technique that just allows me to be in it and like I, I, I think you called it the human permission slip is that human hall pass <laughs> the human hall pass yeah like just like have that human hall pass but put in some kind of a container yes or a check-in that really has me be very responsible for that choice to be in that wow what a great great thing to do I mean, it's just really, really helpful. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's great. I absolutely agree with you because the, you know, that intensity of emotion, I got like this, this kind of metaphor of, you know, when, when you first eat like a decadent, amazing dish that you're so excited for, it's the most intense right at that moment right? But then it sort of abates and you kind of reach your utility and it's it's not as delicious towards the end. The same can be true for kind of cathartic emotional responses like, you know, allowing yourself to go batshit crazy or complain like crazy, complain like crazy. It feels really therapeutic in its potency and it's right at that moment. But if you keep allowing that, like you said, if there's no container, if there's no deliberate turn off switch, I'm moving to something else that feels more powerful and you allow that to habituate a way of being, it not only do you, it loses that intensity that was in service of you before, but now you've become, you've been operating in this like really uncomfortable, angry place. So yes, get conscious and have like, a start point, an end point, and check back in. Is my behavior, is my the thoughts that I'm fueling myself with, are those in service of me? You know, if I'm consciously choosing to take the low road, the human all paths, whatever, is it serving me now or now is it hindering me? Mm-hmm. You know, and that awareness is key, is totally key. Otherwise, we're just throwing a bunch of fits all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, someone has asked me, a client asked me once when we were talking about this work, incredibly smart women, woman who knew a lot. She said, well, but hasn't the catharsis hypothesis been disproven? And I had to go look up what that was. And mm-hmm. the catharsis hypothesis um, was a study that was done with prison inmates in which they were testing to see are people who are really angry and really violent um that way because they have all this stored up pent up emotion that needs to get out and they tested it and they found that in fact rates of violence rose when they actively try you know allowed the men um that they studied to i'm assuming do things like scream or hit pillows and stuff like that Hmm. and um there have been many studies that have tested like does venting anger actually increase anger or decrease anger And the studies tend to uniformly say it increases it. Hmm. But here's what I'll say. Um, In my experience working with clients, in my experience in workshops, hearing people, you know, after we do some kind of a cathartic activity, hearing people's responses to the activity. um, I actually think that that example you gave earlier in this interview was a wonderful one of like if someone has been a people pleaser all their life and then they go into some anger and they're like, fuck, that's somebody who has not been able to tap into that side of themselves. And I tend to find that this, you know, this extreme catharsis is most beneficial for those people. And that conversely, someone such as myself, who um, 
like anger is is not a hard emotion for me to access. I grew up with a lot of it in the home. Yeah. Um that there it's actually important to put a container around it because mm-hmm. I have had anger that has spun out of control really really quickly that it ends up not being good and that in fact if I can give myself a little hit of it with a container around it and then go to ah oh, how do I just breathe how do I slow it down that you know the the thing that the people pleaser does by default to try to keep from being upset that you know she's constantly like letting her boundaries get trampled over like if I could actually go to that other end of the extreme that there's I mean I don't believe in hardcore balance but like there's a for lack of a better word in the moment there's a an an evening of the scales a balancing that kind of tends to happen and that a lot of it depends on the constitution that one has to begin with Absolutely agreed. And that's why, too, I would, I'm curious if that study with the inmates, if there was an element of self growth involved as well, because I would speculate that one of the reasons why you've seen with workshops and people, and we've, we've all have in coaching where people have this breakthrough, but it's also parallel, paralleled with a lot of deep introspective work, releasing of things that, you know what I mean? So I don't think that can really be overlooked if it's just like, let's go see if hitting shit helps this dude and we're not processing anything, right? you know, then, then I could see why, where that would just be like, sweet. I'm going to just keep being more more angry because now, now they're allowing me to. Right. Totally. So, yeah. um, well, I really do want to be vigilant of time. I do have a couple other tips and suggestions, but I don't want to be, I want to be respectful of where you're at with timing. Um, I can go for like five more minutes. How is that sound good? Sure. Okay. I'll just do, um, I'll just basically do two, two little tips, you guys. Um, and I think I, th- I'm hoping you would agree with me on this. I don't know. But um, just allow yourself to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Because something that I do see is people think, I need to take this leap. I'll, I'll, I'll decide on putting myself out there and start dating. Or I'll, I'll enroll in college. Or I'll start my new business. Or do all these things that I have fear around as soon as there's no fear. As soon as I no longer am scared. And I love what you have in your bio where you know, the essence is that courage is not about the absence of fear. It's about feeling that fear and still doing it anyway, like going forward. Um, So allow yourself that expanse to, okay, I'm going to feel this. I'm going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it anyway, you know? And that, that's kind of that little, uh, to use your metaphor, I would envision having like that little whiny child being like, okay, I understand you're not happy with my choices, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> so go ahead and sit in the corner and I'm going to establish a lot of boundaries with you. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, to just, it doesn't mean it needs to arrest you. Um, I, and in fact, I feel like some of the best indications that I need to take action is when I am feeling fear because to me I've created that as insight into you're onto something that is the message you're onto something you need to actually use this as fodder to create what it is that you truly desire again like you said focusing on your desire versus the fear um 
And then one of the other things, and this is, again, really kind of piggybacks on a lot of the stuff you were talking about, about doing the deeper work of where does this come from? You know, does it come from a wound? Kind of a real surface level to look at is when you're looking at going for something or attempting something new that scares you, ask yourself what you're being motivated by. You know, are you being motivated by fear or are you being motivated by desire? It's so funny that I, I actually wrote that in my notes. Motivated by vi- desire or motivated by fear. So it's interesting that you brought up the desire map. Um, because fear is a great motivator, you know, for sure. But again, to our point earlier, it doesn't feel good to reside in that place. So if you can reside in a place of being motivated by your desires, chances are you will feel a shit ton better. Um, So yeah, just check in with yourself because we'll do, we'll, a lot of our behavior will be uh, directed by one of those two things, you know? And so we'll, we'll look at like, oh gosh, well, I can't do that because then I'll be alone for the rest of my life or I can't do that because then people are going to laugh at me and da-da-da. Well, what's the motivation? The motivation is from fear and you can choose something different. So what if, again, like we were talking earlier, what if you choose to focus on the desire? So that's all I kind of had, but um, I I would love any final thoughts from you, Kate, and uh, if, if there's no, you know, anything you want to like, just, if you hear nothing, hear this, or, you know, any final thing you would like to leave everybody with and, um, and then also where they can find you. I love what you just said. I I would agree. I, I often think, you know, it's like this kind of, um, it's like, yes, your fear is absolutely not a reason not to do something you want to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes when someone says, I really want to do this thing, but you know, Kate, I just can't because I'm afraid. Um, some of the like kind of no bullshit love that I offer up is, well, guess what? Your fear is an indicator. The depth of your fear is an indicator of the depth of your desire. It's Ooh, proportional. Yes. And so is your willingness. So it's like, if you're not willing to like roll your sleeves up, hike up the panties and, and get going on this, it's, it's like this is not serving you. And that's like tough love, but I think there are a lot of people who really need to hear that. And um, a lot of times then they go, well, but it feels so big and overwhelming. And it's like start with five minutes. There's actually a ton of power yeah. in five minutes, you know. So that's something that I would take away from what you just shared. It's great. Uh, where to find me is, is basically over at uh, – yourcourageouslife.com and um, launching very, very shortly, like sometime in the next few days, um, courageouscoachingtraining.com because I'm actually starting to teach other uh, people how to be life coaches in the methodology that um, I use with my own clients, including a lot of the perspectives on fear that we were talking about today, which I I loved our conversation. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think... uh, what I take away from all of that is um, is it's it's a semantics perspective view. So I certainly don't go, you're wrong in any way. Oh, no. At all. So, and again, that's the beauty of coaching not be, being religion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of right answers. I love it. So again, um, thank you so much for being here. Uh, everybody, if you haven't done so already, please cruise by thejoyjunkie.com. 
and grab your Life and Love digital kit. Lots of freebies on the house. And we will see you next week. So here is to loving and living your most badass life. All right, Amy and Kate signing off. <laughs>